Connection through conversation. Join self-described conversationalist Stacy Heller as she talks with guests about topics and ideas that are sometimes informational, sometimes inspirational, and always entertaining on Stacy Connects. Hey everybody, welcome back to a new season of Stacy Connects. Welcome to the show. If you're listening for the first time, I'm Stacy Heller. This is Stacy Connects. This show is about making connections through conversation. It's about asking questions instead of making assumptions. And it is about engaging with the elephant in the room, if there is one. I feel like there's always an elephant in the room. And uh, I'm a fan of engaging with it. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing so that you're notified when new episodes come out. And if you have an idea for a topic or a guest, or maybe you have a comment that you want to share, feel free to text or leave me a voicemail. The number is 475-999-2726. I would love to get a a phone call that isn't spam on that line. That would be super exciting. Um, Anyway, my guest today is Michelle Chu. She is an ISA certified arborist. She's with Save a Tree. And um, I have many questions, obviously. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Stacey. Of course. Um, Michelle and I connected several years back, and um, I kind of have a fascination about, like, how does one even become an arborist? Like, you know, do you do you climb trees when you're little and you're like, this is pretty? Um, I feel like there's more to it than that. And so we'll chat about that in a little bit. Okay. Uh, but first, as always, um, observations and conversations from the week. Now, for as much talking as I've been doing, there haven't been a lot of funny conversations of late. Except about Jolly Ranchers. So... I've been traveling a lot lately, and always when I travel, I have this, like, really weird, like, Depression-era mentality of, like, must-have snacks. Like, can't be without a snack. And so I was passing through the airport, and it's, I'm, it's such a Pavlovian response to stop and get Cheez-Its, extra toasty if they have them, that um, – and I had some in my backpack already. And so I was like, well, what am I going to get? Like, I have to get something. So I decided to go with Jolly Ranchers. Now, I haven't had a Jolly Rancher in forever. And it immediately took me back, like, memories and, like, the different flavors. And I was like, this is a good candy. I haven't had one in forever. Right? And it's like, I have some in my bag. I'll give you one after the show. Like, I have not had one, like... I don't know, hard candy. Like, I remember my grandparents always had hard candy in, like, a purple-covered glass dish. And, you know, whether it was Starlight Mints or Butterscotch or the strawberry-wrapped ones or whatever, those were the worst. Um, But, like, a Jolly Rancher. And I now am, like, a little bit addicted to Jolly Ranchers. So I'm I'm a one-man one woman um, mission to bring back Jolly Ranchers. And like, I remember that there was like, there's the little ones, but then there's the ones that almost look like a flat, like rectangle, like a tongue. Oh, the long rectangular one. Yeah. Yeah. And you would like peel the paper off so that you could hold it and not get your hands sticky. And inevitably you would like suck on it or lick it till it came to like a point. So you essentially had like a Jolly Rancher shiv, which I do not recommend. Uh, doing. But like, where did those go? I haven't seen those in forever either. Maybe too many kids were fashioning shivs. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. So that's my, that's my conversation with myself that I've been having. (laughs) Because every time I I shove a, um, a Jolly Rancher in my mouth, I'm like, man, why did I forget about these? So yeah. Um, The flavors are like, like the watermelon and apple, especially, are so good. Eric, are you a Jolly Rancher person? No. no. 
that feels like kids candy to me. Like that's the kind of thing you leave behind, which may be why you've forgotten about it. Yes, you, know, like you it, do. It definitely feels like the sort of thing like nine year olds would be all excited about, like nerds. I've never I, seen an adult eating nerds. I, I literally, <laughs> candy. Yeah. that's like I was about to say, like nerds. And I have a box of nerds on my desk. <laughs> so apparently I'm having some kind of a renaissance or something with candy. Uh, but Or a midlife candy crisis. That, you know what? <laughs> I mean, what a candy crisis. Um, I agree with you. Like they were... They were a candy that, like, I hadn't thought about in forever. And for whatever reason, I was so moved to buy those. Um, and The thing that was great about them as a kid is they were cheap. You could get the individual ones for, like, 10 cents or something. Totally. So, yeah, if you if you scraped up, you know, 20 cents from the playground, <laughs> you could get yourself a little treat. Right. So, it, was, yeah. it was, like, penny candy, like right. literal penny candy. And, you know, and they were so good. Now, I don't like... And the shiv ones, the things I hated yeah. about that <laughs> is that the, inevitably the wrapper would get really just glued right yes, to so. the candy. So you could not get it off without breaking apart your little candy knife. Yeah. <laughs> so well, or like it, then if you went to put it in your mouth, it was like sharp and pointy and you were like using your right. teeth to like pull it. Yeah. It was a whole thing. I don't. I don't remember really being desperate enough to finish the whole thing that it was worth the mess. Hmm. But, you know, it was so good. So I'll leave you two each with a Jolly Rancher today and you can Thank you. bring back a flood <laughs> of right. taste sensory uh, memories. Just um, as long as it's not watermelon. Oh, you don't Watermelon's like the watermelon? Watermelon's good. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> I don't like watermelon as a fruit. Same. Like, you and I have also talked about this. I don't like this. the candy. <laughs> well, I, like, it's... There's a lot more taste to a Jolly Rancher watermelon than there is to the fruit. Like, the fruit to me is just mushy water. And just like celery is crunchy water. Like, mm-hmm. that's true. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think you need to get better vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> well, Higher quality. Anyway. Yes. I mean, celery is just like a vehicle to me. And watermelon, the only saving grace for me for years was being able to spit out the seeds. And now they're seedless. So, like... What's the point? Like that was the part you enjoyed. Yes. The okay. rest of it, it was like, <laughs> meh, who cares? Yeah. Well, I, you know. And to each their own. To, to yeah. each their own. I was an odd child and I've grown into an odd adult and I fully embraced it. I um, have to go find Jolly Ranchers and bring them to my boys. I have one that loves candy. Yeah. yeah. Like they'll love them. Yeah. And I forget that like hard candy lasts for like yeah. a hot minute. Like it's actually... You know, you don't really crunch it. And those, if you crunch, then they, like, coat your fillings, which, you know, as you get older, then it's going to pull off your filling. (laughs) I can't enjoy a hard candy uh, without crunching it. It just automatically happens within two seconds. Really? Hard candy in my mouth. It's crunched. My husband does that. And destroyed and stuck to my teeth. Well, and with Jolly Ranchers, like Starlight Mints, I think you can do that. Or like a butterscotch or root beer barrel or something. I do like those. Those root beer barrels. Mm -hmm. Those are more like, dare I say it, they're like glassy and that you can shatter them easier with your teeth. The Jolly Rancher, like that's a tough there's something in that that probably shouldn't be in your stomach, but oh well, that's just Then it sailed. sticks to the bottom of your teeth. Right. Yeah. There for yeah. a day or so. I, so, you know, Jolly Ranchers, I'm bringing them back. Just saying. There you go. Uh, okay. As per always, I have a an ism. I, in the past, have been calling them Stacyisms. However, I constantly talk about how I've essentially fully lifted some of these concepts and ideas from other people. So I've decided to shift and I'm just going to call them isms. Um, You know, bits of wisdom, bits of philosophy, things that um, they're like a playbook for life. Now, many of these I follow. Some of them I aspire to follow. (laughs) Some of them, um, I don't know, like... Everybody has their own thing, and when you share a philosophy, if it works for you, that's great. You can't make the assumption it's going to work for everybody. But that said, my ism this episode is Let Them. Now, it's inspired by a podcast that a friend sent me. Shout out to Megan. 
and it is a woman and I'll have to share it in the show notes or something because I can't remember and I do want to give her credit. Um, She's a podcaster and she had an episode where she started out the episode talking about how she was at a prom group for her son and all the kids are gathered and they're all dressed up and it's kind of raining and they're doing the photos and whatever and come to find out that there was not a dinner plan for these kids and there's you know that three-hour window between like photo op and when they can actually go to prom and her mind is like going like what do you mean you don't have a dinner plan like I can't believe you don't have a dinner plan and you know trying to manage it and whatever and her daughter who was with her was like mom you need to let them and this is something that you know she has been talking about forever and it was like even she needed to be reminded of her own bit of wisdom in this like we have these things that when we see people making a plan or doing something whether it's our kids and, you know, they have a homework project and we know that there is an easier, more efficient way of doing this. It's like, no, I got to let them or our our spouse, you know, working through something. Uh, same thing. We need to just let them. And I feel like it is a nicer, kinder, gentler way of saying not my circus, not my monkeys. <laughs> um, and. That, you know, like I'm imperfect. We're all imperfect. And so why do I need to borrow someone else's stuff and manage it? I have a hard enough time managing my own stuff. And so with just two words, let them, it's like this mantra I now have in my head, an embarrassingly a large amount of time. Um, and that's also made me more aware of how often I want to interject my will. So I don't know. I, I mean, I, I do think it's something that we do as parents because, you know, we've walked this walk. We know it makes more sense, best practice. And yet, you know, do you clear the path for your kids or your loved ones or do you uh, prepare them for the path. And ideally, we're preparing them for the path by letting them. So that is my ism for this week. And I will find uh, the gal that talked about this on the podcast and uh, let all of you know, because it was it was a great episode and very relatable and applicable to so many different things. So, OK, on a later note, something that uh I wanted to add when Eric and I were doing our podcast, Don't Ask Me to Talk, we had a wheel of topics. And what was fun is that from week to week, we would randomly pick a topic. And uh, per our personalities, well, per my personality and Eric's busy schedule, neither of us ever prepared. Like we knew what the topic was in advance, <laughs> but we never prepared. Um, and I love to be ill-prepared for things. It's just so much more enjoyable. So I thought with my guests each week. You could have just said we had a spontaneous approach to sure, sure. answering But that's the, not authentic. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you're super busy and I'm a flake. So <laughs> that's just how it is. Um, yeah, maybe I need to work on more of a script. <laughs> anyway, uh, so inspired by that, I thought, okay, when a guest comes on, there's questions that, you know, I don't know, they're, they're those friendly debate questions that you feel like tell a lot about a person. Uh, some of them liked, some of them deeper. And I figured, let's do a little icebreaker by spinning the wheel. So, That's Eric? Good. Let's do it. Okay. Ooh, this is going to uh -oh. be a hot debate. Best chip. Best chip. Oh. Now, this is with these topics, there is not like caveats because there can be all kinds of caveats. Like, is it to just like eat on its own to have with a sandwich? Like, there's just so many different things. So, like, if you have to pick a best chip, what's it going to be? 
So mine, um, I have food allergies and intolerances, so I cannot have potato. So I love cassava chips. Oh, well, that makes it like really easy (laughs) and almost unfair. But in my house, I think, is it ruffles seem to be a favorite. Okay. Flavored of any kind? No. Just regular. Regular. Ruffles have ridges. Yes. Yep. Okay. Eric? I don't think I've ever had a cassava chip. I definitely have not had yeah. it because I'm like, Something that I'm gonna sounds have to healthier try. than the sure. food I, I consume. <laughs> <laughs> I miss potato chips, but yeah. Yeah. That's a hard that's a hard thing to find out uh, that you have a food intolerance yeah. of. Yeah. That would like wipe out like a whole whole thing for me. <laughs> Do you have a favorite, Eric? I was going to say microchip because <laughs> it drives, <laughs> they help drive this whole information world that we're living in. But uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I, I think you were probably talking about food when you yep. put this together. So, yep. um you know, I really like a tortilla chip with salsa. That's really good. Uh, but I, I think I'm going to go potato chip and say my favorite flavor is the sea salt and vinegars. Um, so if you can get a, a good quality version of that, yeah, okay. I think that that would be the best. Where I am right now is Ruffles, sour cream, and cheddar. That's Those are good, too. That's where I am right now where, like, I can eat an embarrassingly large amount and realize, like, oh, I probably should not be eating all of those. They're just, like, there's a lot of flavor and there's just enough salt. And, yeah, so right now that is my favorite chip. Now. I mean, that's a problem. I mean, I think Lay's said it best. Or once you pop, you can't stop. Right. You know. <laughs> that's, exactly. That's why I tend to steer clear of chips when when possible. Yeah, it, it's it's a wise idea. And, um you know, as we've learned, if you're a listener of the show, I'm constantly learning and evolving, <laughs> and I'm working on that one. Uh-huh. Sure, sure. I um, loved Pringles. The can? Yes. That's what, That was my favorite. Or maybe it was Pringles that said, once you pop, you can't stop. I think that is Pringles. And yeah. then it's Lay's, yeah. like, like Betcha Lay's are in the bag. Betcha Candy, candy just, just one. Yeah, yeah, it's literally yeah. the same slogan, but just uh, customized to the packaging, I guess. And it's weird. Like, <laughs> Ruffles doesn't have, like, Ruffles, it's like, Ruffles has ridges. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know that they have, I don't know that they need a slogan, honestly. Um, Pringles, like, the weird thing like I can put a Pringles in my mouth and then like stick out my tongue and it's like completely whole. Like apparently I have a big mouth, which, you know, fun fact, that's weird. <laughs> um, but I'm with you. There's like that was always a travel like back to my whole like I need to have something yeah. when I'm traveling. I would very often when I was younger get like the little mini cans of Pringles. Um, and then on the plane when the air and you go to open the thing and it's like the big air pressure thing, like it really pops. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> and Pringles are kind of weird, though, you know, because like potato they're- dust. That's the thing. Yeah, they, yeah. like, melt in your mouth yeah. Yeah, because they're made of, like, mashed or dehydrated potato dust, basically. Yeah. That's rehydrated into a chip. So they, they're quite different than your regular chip. It's, but, it's true. Yeah. They, I make, bet there they is, do make a mess. They do make a mess. Yeah. Well, not if you can stick the whole thing in your yeah. mouth. No. <laughs> I always think of that Mitch Hedberg joke, how he says that- uh, uh, Pringles was uh, supposed to be a tennis ball company, <laughs> but when the day they opened, a truck backed up with potatoes and they're a laid-back company that said, screw it, <laughs> we're just going to make chips. Oh, that's funny. Interesting. I mean, yeah. Mitch Hubbard, he's funny. He did a whole bit on brushing your teeth and why do we wet our toothbrush? Like, I, I don't know what your routine is, but like, I always wet the brush, so then I. add the toothpaste, then wet that, and then start brushing my teeth. Like, why? Oh, I don't wet the toothbrush, but I put the toothpaste on and then wet the toothpaste. I want to rinse any germs <laughs> that are yeah. off the on the bristles <laughs> from being exposed to the air off uh, or yes, any dust or but it, whatever. It's, like, it's so weird put to the me toothpaste on. that it's like, I mean, I suppose it's like rinse the toothbrush, yeah. right? Then add the toothpaste and then, like, add water to lather. I don't yeah. do that last part. 
oh, so see, we're oh. like, I do all those three steps. Gotcha. You don't do the Gotta first rinse rinse off that toothpaste. And you don't do the second rinse. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's like add water and lather. I don't know. It's weird. Okay. Um, let's do one more. All right. Here we go. Middle seat arms. So I assume you're talking about on a plane. Yes. Uh, okay. Three in a row or more yes. seats. So what are your thoughts if you're in the middle seat or either really, no matter what seat, does the person in the middle seat get both armrests? That's a good question. I say they just get one, but I guess that would depend on who all you're sitting with. Right. Like, does everybody get to rest their right arm and like it goes to the end? I mean, I, I think it depends on if I'm in the middle seat, I want both armrests. If I'm, <laughs> if I'm in one of the other seats, then I don't want them to have both armrests. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I defer to whoever's using it first. I'm not going to fight anybody for an armrest. So. Well, and but there, it's like a divisive thing. Like yeah. people get very like if I'm stuck in the middle, I'm like, well, if you get stuck in the middle, you bought the middle seat. Well, not necessarily. Well, yes, but then okay, you didn't plan well enough to get the. the or if you're on Southwest, seat? you chose that seat, or there was no others available. Most of the time, yeah. if you're flying economy now. They don't give you the option of selecting your seat. So that's true. You know. So you don't really have a choice. No, no. Well, and I it also defers a little bit to like the size of the person. And I right. don't mean in like a, a fat shaming way. I mean like if you're like tall or you're broad or like whatever it is, it's like everybody needs to be comfortable. And so In a you perfect know. world, the the middle person should get both armrests, but mm-hmm. uh I'm sure I've forgotten that and and used both my armrests in either the window or the aisle seat that I was in. So Well, and when I'm on the aisle, which I've taken to, I'm like, oh, I must have hit a certain age because now I'm like, I need to be on the aisle in case I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> That's how <laughs> and, I am, yeah. Right? It's like, and I used to be like window for sure. And now I'm like, I've moved to aisle. And uh, but if you use the left armrest, then you're just asking to be hit every time the cart goes by or a person goes by or whatever it is. I think more people are going to be choosing the aisle now that chunks are flying off a plane. So I, That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is that. I think the aisle's going to and be like, the most in demand. And you're going to have to wear like an extra layer in case right. your shirt flies off or something. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, poor Alaska. I mean, it's a Boeing issue, and yet Alaska is taking the, the brunt of the— the jokes. I mean, even an SNL spit or a skit. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that one. It was it was well done. Um, quite funny and um, you know, making fun of Alaska and you know, as I said, it's it's a Boeing thing, but it happened on Alaska. Yeah. Um, but you got You got to check your planes, folks. Well, here's my thing. I'm like, hey, Alaska. You know what? Pivot really quickly and like embrace what SNL did and, you know, like make lemonade out of a bad situation and just be like, hey, you got a story, which is the tagline that they had. Um, Anyway. okay, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, I have many questions for my guest, Michelle Chu. As I said, she's an ISA certified arborist and I have questions about how she got there. So. Keep listening to Stacey Connects. We will be right back. Do you feel challenged by the thought of getting ready every day? Want to make a great first impression, but don't feel your wardrobe represents who you really are? Does the thought of trying to find great clothing that fits your body and lifestyle have you overwhelmed? Michael Bruce Image Consulting is a premier image consulting company that can help you get your style back on track. Contact them at michaelbruceimageconsulting.com or call them at 425-214-4155 and start that conversation today. 
Do you get in your own way when it comes to your business? Look, we all get in our own heads sometimes. Maybe you need a new perspective. I'm a creative who connects people with ideas, potential, and most importantly, their people. Whether through my consulting sessions or content creation and design, I help clients get out of their heads and back to business. My client, Pete Connolly, sums it up best when he said, I can't think of another professional who brings as wide an offering of insights and resources with as much humor and heart as Stacy does. Connect with me, Stacy Heller at Stacy Connect. Hey, welcome back to Stacy Connects. My guest today is Michelle Chu. Um, so, as I mentioned, we met several years ago, and uh, I learned that you're an arborist. And the only time that I had ever heard of an arborist prior to that, like an actual real life arborist, um, was I was a huge fan of Duran Duran back in the 80s. And I had a huge crush on Simon LeBon. He was the one that I picked to crush on. And in, you know, the teen magazines, it would talk about how, like, prior to becoming a lead singer, he had worked with trees or he was an arborist or something. And so I was always like, wow, look at that. Like, fascinating. Um, So that was in my consciousness more. I'm like, oh, an arborist. Interesting. Um, I don't know if that's a true fact. Do you know if that's a true fact? I looked it up after I talked to you, and he he was. He was in a kibbutz, and he studied how to graft trees, and he learned about trees and pruning fruit trees and working on a lift. So, yes, that is a true fact. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Look at that. Who would have thunk? Who would have thunk? Who thought? No, I was like, really? No way. Yeah, like, yeah. it's it's one of those, like, things that it, it planted a seed. Ha ha. Uh-huh. And all those years ago. And so then when we met, it was like, wow, an arborist. Like, you're like Simon Le Bon. So, I mean, <laughs> in my mind, like, pop star, arborist, you're like, neck and neck. So, <laughs> I'm just saying. Um now, how does one become an arborist? Like, what, where do you, where do you even start? Like, did you always have, like, a love for nature and being outdoors? Like, you know, was it environmental sciences or not? Like, how, what? So um, I grew up in the Bay Area, California, surrounded by oak trees and redwood trees. And we would go to Yosemite every year and you, know, you would go hike and see the forest. Um, And so I went to college and first I was environmental and systematic biology. That's what my major was. Um, What does that mean? Because majors and then like what that means. It's like being an English major. Yeah, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with that, but I had started in that and then learned about the forestry and natural resources program at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. So I moved into that major because I wanted to do more of the management and not so much of the biology okay. of it. So um, yeah, I got my degree in forestry and my minor was urban forestry. So working with the trees in a city. Okay. And after college, like one of the paths is to you know work for a city or work for a tree company. Um, and I, I think one of my first jobs was checking the power lines, working for a consulting company to PG&E. So making sure the trees didn't get too close to the power lines because that causes problems. You know, it's like I was chatting with someone earlier about the fact that you were coming on the show and they were like, huh. And, you know, like that's something that I never would have thought. It's one of those jobs that it's like never would have thought about that. And I was like, I have so many questions. And like the things that you don't really think about and appreciate that you know, as as the trees build up, especially if there's new construction or whatever, and they start to build up, that obviously getting uh, interacting with the power lines not a good thing, right? Um, so you forget that, like, oh, that needs to be managed. Yeah, interesting. Okay, um, and the forestry thing is very interesting because anyone who uh, and Eric, I expect an eye roll from you. Uh, because anyone that has listened to the show for a while knows that I am obsessed with my rain barrel idea. Yes. <laughs> so that there is not wildfires. Okay. So I have this whole thing that like 
ever since we bought a lake house that is near the Canada border, when we head up, we've seen wildfires. And I'm embarrassed to say that, like probably many people, until something like impacts you or you see it directly, like you don't really think about it. So I had never really thought about wildfires. They seemed like something that happened way far off until you're driving and you're like, oh, like there it is right there. And so... I have this whole crazy idea of like, we just need to put like above ground swimming pool type mechanisms in the middle of like areas so that helicopters can fill up their buckets. Anyway, so this leads to my whole question about like forestry then, right? Mm -hmm. So is there supposed to be underbrush? Are you supposed to like clean for like what is? Fire is a natural part of the cycle for forest is cleaning out the brush, the underbrush. And since we have, try to stop that, then you have a buildup of the other underbrush. So prescribed burns is something that's needed, um, and it's part of what has happened for years and years. But Got it. as we've moved into more of the... We're taking over more land, and so... Right. Okay. And then, uh, again, it's amazing the conversations that happen, because then when I was talking about this whole thing... Um, I was talking about the whole helicopter and like getting the water and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And then we were talking about the retardant stuff that you can put out. And the gal I was talking to said that her father works in environmental sciences testing soils and that mm. the stuff that's in that then impacts the soil and it makes it hazardous. Is that true? Do you know? I don't know what's in the fire retardant, um, but it. I'm sure it does do something to the soil, and soil's a big component of having a healthy forest and healthy trees. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. So, like, if we want it to rebuild, right, and the natural, like, I always thought, like, oh, the fire, like, everything burns, and then it ends up, like, sort of churn and burn, and, like, and it will come back to life and that kind of thing, like, the natural process. There's a lot of seed that opens up after a fire, so that's part of what why fires are needed. A lot of the the... Flower seeds and some of the tree seeds will, yeah, they need the fire to open them up. And Interesting. I feel like I need to do more. Clearly, this is something that is calling to me with my whole, like, giant rain barrel ideas and whatever. Um, because it's, like, I appreciate the need for fire to manage. And also, you know, there's some areas where it's like, oh, this is dangerous. And, you know, but we're we're starting to encroach on uh, areas that perhaps we shouldn't. Yeah. Well, there's ways that when there's homes that are in like the interface, what you can do to try and protect your home. And that's part of like the landscaping around your home and having kind of a, a uh, space around it so that you're not as close to the, the trees. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, I'll get off all of my <laughs> random, my random things that I'm concerned about. Um, okay. So uh, starting out with, checking power lines and that kind of thing. Um, What are the other, you know, like, so then where did you go? So you need, in order to um, test to become a certified arborist, you need a combination of either just work experience, Mm -hmm. working with plants and trees, or a a combination of school. Mm -hmm. So a four-year degree counts for two of the four years that you need, and then two years of of work. And then... You can apply to take the test, and they check your work history. They want referrals, um, and it's a tough test. Oh, I, I mean, no doubt. And, um, you know, it, it reminds me of uh, when you hear about a doctor doing their residency, and there's, like, there's the, the learning piece, and then there's the doing piece, and it sounds like you need to have a combination of both right. to pass the test as well. And I imagine that um, things are ever evolving. Yes. So it's like, you know, it's nature. It's like things are changing. So do you have to do um, additional studies and things? So once you have your certified arborist um, certification, then you do have to do CEUs, so continuing education units. So every, I think this, the license is good for three years and you have to do like 30 hours of education. Wow. Wow. So you do, yeah, you need to continue. And they have programs and they have material you can read or podcasts to listen to in order to get your CEUs. So interesting. Like trees are something that you 
you take for granted, right? Until there's a wildfire or until, you know, we moved from the East Coast out to the West Coast into a new development. And so, you know, we had like the standard one tree per yard and it ends up, you know, now it's been almost 15 years and it's a rather large tree and it covers the sign for the road and, you know, and, and these kinds of things. And, um, I don't know that in new developments, there's really real thought about what tree is growing where and what's going to happen. And I know like even within our own HOA, uh, the trees that are in the common area that line uh, the common street, you know, they're starting to grow into people's eaves and houses and that kind of thing. So there, um, you would think there would be more thought put into it, but sometimes it, it's a question of why did they put that tree there? Um, but trees do need to be managed. So when they're younger, which a lot of times they aren't, when they're younger, if you're looking at the structure, you can prune the structure so that in the future, when it grows up, it has good structure and it knows, like, you can kind of guide it to where it's going. Um, but street trees need to be managed. Um, some of the cities do take care of those. A lot of the times it falls on the homeowner or HOAs. Um, what I see around here, too, is when you have new developments, such as where you live, mm-hmm. they tend to put, like, Japanese maples, other stuff that looks really pretty up against the house. And when it's small, it's fine. But then it grows into a larger tree and it's hitting the house. And it's like, I wish they just would have planted it 10 feet from where it is. Um, right. Like we have one. Um, I think it's a Japanese maple. You've been you to do. my house yes. in the front yard. Yes. Right. And it's beautiful. But then it grows into the driveway. Right in the driveway. Exactly. So it makes it really hard to pull out. And so then, you know, I'm like, I, you know, do I just prune the the heck out of this thing and have it so that it's growing up? Um, and you've given some advice on that. And mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing that, um, you know, I think you've moved more into that kind of capacity with what you do now. Is that correct? Yes. So, um are you working with landscapers who are starting out or are you working like, you know, the planning process or is it like, well, here it is, like this is what we've got and now you need to have the, the tree trimmed or something has happened? So what I do now is you know, work with homeowners and their trees. So that needs pruning or if there's um, pests or diseases that need to be managed, we can help them and take care of that. Um, but uh, yeah, in this area, a lot of it's just managing trees and either the interface of trees, if they have backyards where there's more trees that were here for many years and dealing with older trees. and Right. Um, and the diseased trees are the ones that, you know, once one strong wind and it's going to go over. Right. So managing it, I imagine, in that way. Um, and it's it's funny being... In a new development, I I never really thought about directing the trees. And I remember when you came over and it was like, okay, you need to lop this and, you know, and, and trim this and, and, and you can direct it and the energy to where it needs to go so that it will, it can work better in the space. Um, oh, I, I have a random question. We have a pear tree, supposedly, in our uh-huh. backyard. Pete would like to know why it isn't producing fruit. Well, is it an evergreen pear, so it's ornamental, or did it produce fruit at one point? It's never produced fruit, so maybe it's an or- ornamental. Yes. Okay. It could be. So then, like, we what's can... the point of having a <laughs> what's the point of having a pear tree if it's strictly ornamental? Or the leaf and the color in the fall. Um... Oh, we can take a look at it. Yeah, I'll have you come over. (laughs) He was like, hey, ask her why our pear tree is not producing pears. And if if it's supposed to be a fruiting pear, there's some of the fruit trees need other fruit trees right near them for cross pollination. Okay, like holly trees. Isn't there holly trees and cherry trees? Yeah. Right. Like you need almost like male, female. Right. So there's some that do self pollinate and others need friends nearby. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Um, so I'm trying to figure out, uh, or I'm, I'm fascinated by all the different avenues that you can go 
as an arborist. Like, you know, we talked about kidding aside, uh, like Simon Le Bon and grafting and doing mm-hmm. all those kinds of things. Um, so is that like when, you know, um, this isn't a tree, this is a bush, but like, you know, the princess, the Lady Diana, like Rose and mm-hmm. things like that, where you're coming up with new species or with dogs, like a Labradoodle. Um, is it like grafting like trees together and that like tell me more about that so like, grafting yeah they'll if you go to the nursery you can find you know, an apple tree with five different types of apples and that's when they've grafted different branches okay. to the tree there are yeah scientists that develop new types of trees and trees that are resistant to disease okay um one that comes from my like um crepe myrtles okay beautiful shorter tree some of the varieties get um, like powdery mildew, but there are varieties that are resistant to that. Okay. So Got trees it. that are, yeah, so they're trying to figure out you know, trees that so will be better like in the city where they can be mass planted. Okay. So it's like you find the traits and attributes of like one species and like combine it with this that is like maybe the look and, you know, whatever. And by grafting them then you have an ideal situation like that. Yes, and also a lot like roses and some of the other fruit trees, they'll graft the different rootstock and then something else on top. So you have a stronger rootstock, but then like a flower characteristic or something at the top. So same with so fruit interesting. trees. Yeah. So with the work that you do, like starting out with uh, essentially in sort of like bio and then going into forestry and that kind of thing, um, there's I I believe that there's always creativity in ev- in any and every job. So mm-hmm. how does creativity show up in what you do? Oh, good question. Um, I think well, my I've done forest trees, but I've also done landscaping. So sometimes we do have to remove trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, the company I work with is save a tree, but we don't always like we can't always save a tree. So right. then it's. Maybe if the tree needs to be removed and it's replanting it or planting a new tree. Um, I think creatively is looking at trees like the smaller trees, like Japanese maples. They need to be pruned in a specific way. So, Oh, I so pruning. need you to come out. Like I have, I think it's a, it's a dwarf Chinese maple that's in my backyard okay. that my kids gave me for Mother's Day and... So it hangs really low. The cats like to hide under it. And I'm like, there's got to be more to this. I mean, it's beautiful. Well, a lot of like the weeping maples, when they're not in leaf, they have the beautiful structure of the branching. So printing that and looking at that, that's kind of a creative. Like bonsai. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I mean, in a way. In a way, yeah. Um, It's an art form. Like pruning is an art form. Well, and I would imagine, um, yeah, like even if it's a large tree, like there's sort of a physics of the weight and counterbalance mm-hmm. and those kinds of things that you've got to manage. Right. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, okay. And with Save a Tree, what I instantly uh, went to and another question that came up. For some reason, recent conversation has gone to um, what you're going to do with your ashes if you're cremated. And I've heard a couple of people talk about taking their ashes and like planting a tree or doing something like that. Tell me more about that. (laughs) I've seen that. um, I think at the garden show last year um, in Seattle, there was a company that was there where you could like plant a tree with your ashes and get yeah. information in order to, to set that up. Like I I've always thought that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's rather like, than being in a coffin, like in the ground, I would rather be like spread so you can hundred percent or something. like yeah. being in an urn. Like I yeah. always joke that, you know, when I'm cremated, I'm going to end up in a big gulp, like, you know, forget <laughs> an urn. It's like, <laughs> and you know, but then like, what do you do with the urn? Like I, yeah. I have my cat's ashes and I'm like, what am I going to do with this? And, you know, it's still taking up space. So the idea of, like, going back to the earth, I'm yeah. like, that's kind of cool. I think there's there, there's more of that out there. I mean, there's, like, the burial at sea. Right. Or there's, yeah, plant a tree and be buried with it. 
I don't, I don't know, like the nutrient quality of ashes and what it could do. I'll have to look that up. I'm sure if we asked the companies that are doing that, they would have I'm an answer. I'm sure that they would. I mean, not that I'm assuming that you're like, you know, hey, we'll mix a little ash and we'll make a little like gardener's gold yeah. with some like ash and, <laughs> you know, and whatever fertilizer. Um, but it's, again, weird tangents that I take yes. when I'm having these conversations. Um, okay. So Sabatree, we talked about the fact that you work for Sabatree. Um, what is it about Sabatree uh, that you have aligned with and, you know, what they're doing? Like, are there a lot of arborists around? Like, is this? There's a lot of arborists in this area. Um, Sabatree, um, they're a, a nationwide company. Um, they've been in this area just three years now. Um but they are big on safety. They're big on uh, learning and education and training the crews. Um, so that's what I really liked about the company. Because yep. those guys, the arborist, that's one of the most dangerous jobs out there, like tree worker, loggers, because there's so much that can go wrong. Well, and there's such a misconception that it's like, you know, timber and right. like you know sawing back and forth and like okay that's that but given how populated densely populated cities and suburban areas are you really have to manage the trees coming down because mm -hmm. the domino effect that it can have is huge right so and with the storms that we have here like the past couple of weeks um we've seen a lot of trees that have gone down in the storms and like domino effect i was on one property and they had Two trees that went down that went from one property across into another property and onto a house. And then there was another tree that had was on the verge of uprooting because of sure. one tree. Yeah. Interesting. Now, when uh, when trees fall in um, in sort of like cities or towns or whatever, is is it a private company like Save a Tree that's called to deal with it? Or are there is there town management? Because like there's not the same necessarily training and certification with like your public works as there would be with with what you do. Um, I think if it's on public property, then the, the cities usually have a department that takes care of it or they've contracted out okay. with um, with a company such as Save a Tree. So then residential, it's primarily like the owners yep. are responsible for finding some or their insurance. We'll so give them contractors um, to call. That makes sense. Okay. So um, last questions here before um, we have to end up. Is there, like, is there anything that's, like, too small? Um, like, if you've got trees on your property, it sounds like you want to maybe have somebody come out and show you, like, depending on, hey, this is the way this might grow or this is what you might want to consider and have it trained either like, hey, this is what you want to do. You can DIY mm -hmm. or like we can come back and like prune it each year and, and manage this and take care of it. Um, and so there's there's a legit reason why you might want to bring someone out early mm -hmm. and then maintaining to keep it going. Um, so I guess it's like, it sounds like there's not really a property too small. Like even if you're in a new development. Even a new development, it's always good to have, you know, the trees looked at. Because a lot of, like I was mentioning before, some of the new developments, they have trees that are right up against the houses. So then it's good when they're younger. You can be like, okay, let's transplant this. Yes. Or, um, yeah. Because they're doing it for like sidewalk appeal right. versus like really being thoughtful about right. and so it's like great this is a good viable tree but like we should put it in the back corner versus like up against yeah. the house where it's going to grow into the eaves yeah okay hmm. yeah so with any property there's always unless someone's concreted over their whole yard there's <laughs> always stuff to look at we do um you know tree work we do tree treatment plant um and also lawn service so taking care of of fertilizing and getting rid of the weeds. So the yeah. full the full deal. Yes. 
All right. Uh, if people are interested in learning more about Save a Tree, where should they go? Saveatree.com. So they can go to the internet they can, and put in your zip code and it'll bring up. Oh, that's easy. And if they have a question about a tree that they're like, I think this has a disease or whatever, then you're a good resource for that yes, as well. Yes, and we can set up an appointment and come out and take a look. Yeah, we do free consultations. Nice. If there's something that needs more, um, a lot of the cities now, if you're wanting to take out a tree, um, you need like an arborist report or there's TRAC, which is Tree Risk Assessment Qualification. So the cities now require that if the tree's hazardous or unhealthy, and we have a consulting arborist on staff that can do that as well. Oh my gosh, you can't just take down a tree? No, you can't. No. Wow. Yeah. Well, depending on the size. The so smaller stuff you can, and each city is unique, so they all have different requirements. So there's a PSA, folks. If yes. you thought you could just take down a tree, you can't just take down a tree. No. Unless you get a permit and it's Christmas time. Yes. <laughs> and that's a whole different yes. thing. <laughs> that takes us back into the forest. Um, see, like, who knew that there were so many different aspects to it and, you know, the the training and the certifications and continuing ed that you have. I mean, it it makes sense. Like, this is my whole point that having conversations with people, it opens you up to a whole new world. And, you know, so often we react to things and pivot like in real time. Like I said, you know, wildfires never really cared about them and then witnessed it. You know, you never really think about uh, needing an arborist until a tree falls on your roof and you're like, uh, and then suddenly you care a lot about an arborist. Yeah. So, you know, um, maybe think in advance, folks. And, uh, you know, and if it turns out you need somebody, then look for Michelle at Save a Tree. Um, thank you. Thank you for being a guest. Oh, thank you for having me. It was an interesting conversation. And uh, yay about Simon Le Bon. Super excited <laughs> about that. I was right. Um, thank you to- again. And remember, you can go to saveatree.com. Thank you to Eric. And uh, hey, everyone, have a great week. Oh, and Savatree is S-A-V-A-T-R-E-E. So, Perfect. Yeah. Thank you for that clarification. All right. Have a great week, everyone. Stay connected. Yeah.